good evening on this very special episode of Nerd Initiatives Turn a Page. You can already see Ken is scared stiff as we do Night of the Ghoul by Scott Snyder, a comicsology original. Push the button. Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. Welcome to a very special edition of Turn a Page Nerd Initiatives Comic Book Club only on YouTube and various other media outlets because we are growing the brand out. What is going on, everyone? My name is Ken M. You know me as the host of the ODPH podcast, and I'm also Nerd Initiatives Comics Editor-in-Chief. To my left, your right. Hi, I'm Tom. And live and direct, straight from the ODPH studios, my name is Off the Cuff Tom, Nerd Initiatives Pop Culture Connoisseur. It's always a pleasure being here. Happy Mischief Night, everyone. Yes, indeed. It is the end of Halloween season, per se. It's Halloween Eve, Mischief Night. However you want to define it, the scary season is almost upon its final run here in the next 24 hours as you're going to be watching this on Nerd Initiative. And what we've been doing, unless we've had a great interview to sneak in between, we have been focusing on a lot of the horror and scary stories that we love to pick up at the comic shops throughout the years. And, and what, do, what did we do this month? We did Some Skeleton Children. Yep. Grandma Chainsaw. Yep. Uh, we had the New York Comic Con preemption. We had the whole thing with Comic Con. My God, did we have fun at Comic Con. Comic Con was an amazing time. My goodness. Devil Wears My Face. Yes. Devil Wears My Face. We've been doing interviews. That's what's been throwing everything off. Seriously. And we have more to come to. So you want to make sure you hit the subscribe button to Nerd Initiative YouTube so you don't miss what's going on here. And with our fellow content creators that are going to be doing a lot of news this week, especially uh, behind the scenes is Rich from 3FN, who's producing tonight's show. Guy in the chair! Yes, who is also going to be leading us into a new era of Wrestling Night Live, kicking off this Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Nerd Initiative YouTube. So if you watch your pro wrestling talk, that's where you're going to jump in. I mean, what else is scarier than pro wrestling these days? Drop in from the top rope. Check it out. Exactly. But that's going to be Thursday. You came to hear some comic talk. That is what we're going to be doing tonight. And we are going to be focusing on a story from one of my favorite comic lines in general. And that is the Best Jacket Press line from Comixology Originals. Now, this is a, a brand that is led by Scott Snyder, legendary comic author. You know his work from many, many titles. Batman, Undiscovered Country, Noctera, Witches, to name a few. But this is his creator-owned line that is debuting on Comixology Originals first, and then it shifts to print form via Dark Horse Comics a few months after. So it's a great win-win for the, for the new market that's at place. And where we kicked off three years ago, it's crazy to think it's been that time already, we kicked off with three books that really set the tone for what the line has been now. And that kicked off with We Have Demons with art by Greg Capullo, Clear with art by Francis Manipal, which is going to be coming to the comic shops via Dark Horse and trade paperback form 
this coming month of November, and the story we're going to talk about now, which is Night of the Ghoul, featuring art by Francesco Francavilla. So this was the initial run that kicked off the line. There's been many other series that have come after it. Most recently, and I can't stress this enough, if you don't, if you haven't picked up this issue just yet, you really need to go pick up Buy a Thread. And this came out right before New York Comic Con. Uh, it's Scott and Jack Snyder writing it. Valerie Fococcia is on the artwork. And this is phenomenal. Who, who's that Jack Snyder? Yes. I know Scott Snyder, but who's Jack Snyder? Jack is Scott's 16-year-old son. No. And man, this is an impressive debut issue. So if you haven't picked this up, you really want to go check this out. The art the art is amazing. The story is so cool. There's a lot of win-win to be had here. That's going to look good on a college application. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> Like I say, if this is any indication of where Jack is going with his career, the future is so, so bright. Like, I, I, I can't stress enough about this issue. We definitely have to talk about this at length on Turn a Page sometime in the near future. So we'll stay tuned for that. But we are diving into one of the first books of the Best Jacket Press line for Comixology Originals, and that's Night of the Ghoul. So this is one that if you haven't heard a lot about yet, you're going to because it has been optioned for crossing over into the land of pop culture. Yay! So there's going to be some news happening. Uh, we heard a little snippet before everything going on with the SGA strike, so or SAGs. So you'll have to kind of wait to see about a little more news about that after. But for right now... This is what we're going to be diving into. So if you haven't checked the series out, we are going to be talking spoilers about it. It's been out for a while. And this is one that I really got hooked into horror comics on. It is so vintage. It's modern. There's a lot of different elements that goes on with this. And so, Tom, I'm going to kick it off to you. When we presented this to you, what was your initial thoughts about picking this issue up? Uh, October. Oh, wait, Scott Snyder, I'm in. It literally was that way. So, you know, everybody knows by now because it's the end of the month and you've been following on. I don't do horror because wife. Um, that's the best way. To we can it. say reasons. No, wife. Reasons is is always a good one, but it's my wife. My wife. Um, I generally don't do horror anymore, but to, after meeting Scott at Comic-Con this year, who is an unbelievable guy. Like, yes. Uh, the opportunity I had to chat with him was just awesome. Um, I'm very jealous that Ken's got a head start on me. Uh, <laughs> but he, it, when I heard that he was found out he was writing this or had written this, um, I was all in. I saw the cover. I'm down. I'm in. Let's do this. And by the time I got to my first full page, full panel, holy crap, I was hooked. I was ready for the next five issues. Yeah. This one really gets a hold of you early with the story. And it is just a, a very simple one in the sense of how things unfold, because as we're going to be talking spoilers about the book, we're going to kind of give you a rundown about what this is all about. And it starts off with a gentleman by the name of Forrest Inman. And he's really kind of, how would you describe him, Tom? A super fan? He's like me about Power Rangers on steroids. Like he's the type of guy that I would look at and go, that dude's a geek. Yeah. Like, like, all right, man, like, uh, bring it down. Like, th there there are certain p people in fandoms that it just becomes their whole person. Mm -hmm. That's this guy. Yeah. And what he's found is this movie that was long thought to be a myth, I should say. 
That's the easiest way to describe it. Because there has always been this movie called Night of the Ghoul. Night of the Ghoul. And it was allegedly lost in a studio fire where it was a tragic fire because people died in the theater or the studio for it. And it just never was recovered. But somehow, some way, Forrest winds up getting a hold of this. Bits and pieces. Yes. And what he does is he tries tracking down the director of the film, a gentleman by the name of T.F. Merritt, to where he is at his resident of, you know, uh, healthcare, shall we say? He's in the old folks' home. Shady Pines, Shady Pines. Yes. So as the story progresses, Forrest wants to bring him the film. And it's almost as T.F. had an idea that somebody was coming for him. And he seems very on edge during this entire run, too. But where you really kind of dive in to where things are, are leading is Forrest goes to the uh, wellness center, and he wants to meet him. With his son. With his son. Let's not forget Orson. Yes, Orson is with him, too. And they wind up making their way in there, and he presents the film to him. And how would you describe T.F.'s reaction when he sees the film? Well, let's also mention that... Uh... I mean, this is a little spoiler getting ahead of us, uh, that the director that he did track down was so infamous about the film that he had changed his name several times over the years just not to be tracked down. But uh, Mr. Inman here was such a super fan that he did go through all the hoops to do to track him down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there was no question about it. He was definitely focused about getting this film, which he considers the greatest of all time, to come to the masses. And he is just obsessed about presenting it to the world. And TF kind of knows what's happening with it as he's moving forward. And we start getting the story split off into two versions. We get the TF one where we're getting a walkthrough of the actual film itself. And how would you describe the actual film? The film itself is, it starts off as that very obvious, you know, World War II buddy uh, comedy, buddy war comedy feeling going off with that. Hey, we're going to war. We're going to, you know, I'm doing this for my kid. I'm doing this for my son. I'm doing this for America. Cracking the jokes, coking and joking. It's it's all good and fun and games. Um, but it's a really good parallel uh, going back and forth from the real world to the film. And on top of that, uh, just the coloring and the art style. The art style relatively stays the same, but the colors really are what brings you back and forth. At no time, I don't believe in the real world, there was anything more than I'd say four, maybe five colors. Like they mm-hmm. went for a very stark um, blast of color to give you the idea of what is going on, the depth of the situation versus the sepia tones that you would see on the film reels. Yeah. They really made a point to make it stand out and tell the two different stories. Yeah. Because you have the one where you're seeing the creation of the ghoul itself and how the army troop winds up going on their mission and they encounter it mm-hmm. firsthand. And you see how the ghoul inhabits the soldier. Dude, that was so cool. It was, a, like I say, Francoville's art in this is just next level. I mean, and, it was ghoulishly good. Yeah. There's my dad joke. It, you know, but it works because you have that sense of fear the entire time you're walking through the panels. And as we see the one on screen right now where TF is, is noticing that somebody is behind Forrest, it really captures the moment and the expressions of what's happening. And it does play such a big factor into where the story goes because you're getting walked through not one but two stories at the same time. 
because Forrest is sitting there just as, you know, a super fan listening to TF tell the story of it. He's squeeing. Exactly. Like he's just so, so such an awe that he has this collector's item. It's so next level. And it's, you know, his a dream that he's going to be the one to break it and show it to the world. So he's having that moment. And TF is kind of painting this morbid picture about like, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Mm-hmm. And as you see how the story progresses with the zombies involved, uh, I should say, because it kind of felt like they went into a zombie mode. Once the ghoul takes hold, the story really goes in a different direction as far as the film goes. And how it plays out as it reflects back to Forrest, Forrest is sitting there trying to make more time with TF and present it, but the surrounding factors of the healthcare facility are not exactly playing ball, would you say? No, not at all. Um, The administration of the hospital and the residents um, are extremely peculiar, um, to say the least, Mm -hmm. Uh, as Orson is just meandering around the halls. He happens to stumble upon a a children's ward, and in the background, you get a lot of creepers just... Lurking. Creeping. Yeah. Uh, So it really gives you a oh, no, I'm going to have to worry about the kid now because it's the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Snyder really has done his work on doing this book um, because reasons we'll find out later. Uh, it's heavy. Like, it really is. Like, there's no panel that is takes away from it. Um, there's no one panel that yeah. overdoes it. But it's it's just he, he's he runs that thin fine line between and oh Scott is such that a, makes sense yeah well he's <laughs> su- he's such a master stel- storyteller in the world of horror that this is just something that you can definitely tell he knows how to pace things well yes and where you think that you have a quiet scene going on it builds for something else that happens later like we'll take for example the story that goes on with Forrest's son. Orson and how he is kept away from walking with his dad to go see TF. But while he's trying to talk to his mom, obviously being at such a young age, curiosity gets the best of him. Mm-hmm. What I like about it, did Justin notice the kid's name? Yeah, Orson. Because of? Orson Wells. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, you can definitely tell just, just how much of a movie fan we have in attendance here. Oh, God, yeah. So when you see this all kind of transpire in this aspect, it really plays such a strong moment in time. And as we see how Orson is walking around, you see, obviously, the residents of the healthcare facility are watching him. And you're also seeing... I like how you're just being so PC. It's the old folks' home, folks. Well, yeah, like, well, it is the old folks' home. Right. But I like being a little more classy about that. I'm so. off the cuff, goddammit. Yeah. Well, that's why we say it works. It balances out. It's not all the same. But as things start progressing, everybody in that room or the facility is kind of taking notes of what's happening. Because when Orson is breaking away on his own... You're seeing that TF does wind up having a little beverage to celebrate the film is in the possession of Forrest. And obviously this is drawing a little more close for comfort with everything going on than TF, I think, wants to really deal with because he then suddenly switches to a moment where he's like, I'm being held captive here. I'm not supposed to be here. And I have the truth about my film. And when this moment hits, I mean, it's such a powerful panel, too, 
that you just see the 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 imagery going on with the flaming camera that Fran- Franco Villa just does so well here. I mean, Tom, when you're seeing this all play out and that moment is revealed that TF is not just a patient going quietly in the night, what is your reaction to this? I think he came to a mortal realization uh, at that point that he, I wouldn't say he had the come to Jeebus moment, mm-hmm. but I think he had the realization that this is the end. I'm going to get everything off my guts. Um, literally. Yeah. Uh, this was his moment of solace. You know, it might've been a little psychotic. It might've finally been that break or the snap moment that you would have that, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you everything kind of, you know, last minute reprieve. Um, it was heavy because, I mean, you see him have the drink, you know, okay, I'm having that somber, solemn moment. And then three pages later, this is what happened, kiddies. Yeah. It's crazy to see how it just all unfolds at once there. But it does make such a powerful statement going on that it also balances out, too, with Orson's story. Because as he's walking around, he comes across one of the more chilling scenes that plays out. And that is when he goes downstairs and he finds... There's a room full of dead bodies at the bottom of the facility. Dead children. Yes. And when this moment hits, you as a reader are just – chills have to go through your spine. That It's an obvious one for me for reasons. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I, I just sat there – the first time I read it, I was like, whoa, what is going on here? But meanwhile, you just have TF and Forrester having this this moment and they're trying to solve what is going on here. And more or less, there's powers that be that are trying to intervene. And we do see the head doctor come in the room and is trying to dismay Forrest from uh, establishing further a connection. And he comes in hard and menacing as well. Mm -hmm. Let's let's just note that. Like, he's coming in really heavy. The colors, you know, he's got a red silhouette going. You've got the yellow light in the background. So it's it's a very stalker-esque pose that they have him in. Mm-hmm. Oh, like I say, the, the artwork of, of how this translates from Snyder's script to Frank Avila's page, it just it is perfectly done. Yeah. Like I say, the, when you have to have that high moment hit, it hits. And this is one moment that does, as the shot came up of TF just pointing at the screen, at you, the reader, and telling you to run. Like that is it's just such a, a huge moment when this hits. And then the fallout is when you have the doctor come in and, and you see the fear in TF's eyes, but they're just trying to say, it turns out that they just catch Orson walking around, which is such a, a cool twist that they do here because you're expecting this big dramatic moment and it still is, but it's building for something more. So when we have that payoff later, that's where it hits because as, as they find him, he's just trespassing around and then... Orson just explodes and says, no, there's dead children and dead women and dead men downstairs. Like, there's dead people here. So the director has to come up and break a very uh, uncomfortable truth, shall we say. And there's a full panel, too, where he does this breaking down. And it really drives the point home in this aspect. And it's right up there on screen for a second, uh, where he's just standing there and he gives the soliloquy about why they're doing it. Excellent word. Oh, thank you. And Tom, I mean, when you're seeing the scene, let's walk our viewers through this. Uh, I mean, to see, just for art's sake real quick, Mm -hmm. you see that the top half, and this is the way I interpreted it, as the doctor 
being fairly morose, if you if you really want to consider it, because of his line of work, and I, I know this from having a lot of friends in the healthcare field, um, you see all these beautiful blues and shades of gray and, and light even on him as he's giving this very morbid detail of what happens here at the building. And then you pan down and you see the coffin and you see all the, the gravestones. That, it, it's that very interesting feeling that, you know, a lot of our, our healthcare professionals, and I'm going to talk real quick about the world, that they have to deal with that every single day. So to hear him go through all of this, it, it makes sense to, to read it in a very cool and calm voice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And especially, too, he's not even really, you know, as you would be phased by this and overwhelmed, he is just as professional as he can be explaining that, you know, we're doing this to prepare them for the, where they're going in the, you know, for burials. And it's just such a logical answer. Mm-hmm. And it's one that, you know, takes a little air out of the drama, but it definitely doesn't take anything away because you still have him talking and explaining, but you're not fully believing what's Sedentary, happening. Sedentary, that's the word I'm looking yes. for. Yeah, because this does cause a little segue as you see Orson and Forrester finally heading away from the camp. You know, and it's it's a situation that TF isn't with them, but still things are not settling well with no. them. And when you're seeing the talk going on, too, as they're driving away, I mean, it is a powerful moment that is happening. Tom, what is going through your minds when you're hearing about Orson's big reveal to Forrest and how that takes place? I was beside myself, honestly. I mean, there, there's a lot going on. He's he's telling his dad, like, this is silly. This is, you know, why are you doing this? You know, it's it's normal teenage rebellion, but mm. you can also tell that it's it's pent-up aggression for all the years that Orson's had to endure this. Obviously, there's stuff going on between mom and dad at home. Um, and we also find out that mom has, you know, some medical issues as well. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just to be saddled with having the name Orson, God knows when this is. You know, looking at the vehicles, we'll probably say that's a 86 Suburban maybe. Give or take. Give or take. So even still to be called Orson in late 80s, not a very popular kid probably in school. So top that all together, and you got a kid who's ready to go, I learned from watching you, Dad. Well, you know, the thing, too, is you got to remember, he does have a cell phone in this day and age, so it is very modern times. Forrest could just be somebody that likes to live in the past, being such That's a, true, yeah. being such a film know, buff. Yeah. So, so like I say, it could be the 80s. I think it's modern time, though, for me. Yeah, because, because it's smartphones, so, yeah, at least 2010. Yeah. But it still plays out. That Even worse. Do you want to be named Orson in 2010? Forrest is that big of a movie nerd. I mean, let's face it. You find some crazy names to get named. Yeah. You know, like I say, just it is what it is. But he's such a big movie buff, I should say, that, you know, I can fully see this. But this buys into, like, where he's trying to go with this, this obsession he has with this film and just the impact he has, that he now has the copy of it. You, we have the reveal. And this is also to a, a point where when you see Orson jump off the car and just because obviously the fight is escalating to where Forrest is just refusing to give up and how he's trying to go back in to go get TF as well too. Like I say, this is where things are just really starting to pick up speed as far as the story goes. And as you see, TF is trying to act very coy and you know surprised like, oh, what are you doing back here? He's mm-hmm. like, I'm getting you out of here. We're doing the right thing as, as is taking place. And then you see the head doctor and security guard come in the room. 
And this is where things, I think, really pick up steam, if you will. Yeah, totally didn't see that coming. Like, considering how the doctor was cool, calm, collected, direct, and then all of a sudden, elder abuse. Mm -hmm. They start beating on the wrinkly old man. And I mean, beating on the old dude. The panels are just popping off the page here, too. It just, you know, and 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 World Design's lettering, too, about the crack, Snapple crack. You can definitely feel that as a reader as you're watching this abusive action happen. And the doctor is sitting there just watching and just saying more. And just, you know, it's really turned into like a psychological terror that happens here until the moment that really throws everything off. Because we know that... TF has been saying how he's been fed things he doesn't like. He's made this point, but you just kind of treat it as well, pills. He's yep, yeah. little 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 cups of of happiness. Yeah, he's he's obviously not happy with the treatment he's been getting at this uh, healthcare facility. So, and he's complaining about what he has to eat. We have this surreal moment where the doctor is shooting worms literally out of his mouth into TF. They're maggots. Yeah. And like I say, it's just it's a it's a terrifying image that's taking place, but it it plays into what has been going on here. And you see Forrest is trapped in the closet, watching and not knowing what to do. Pure and utter shock. Yeah, like he, he's at he, now at this point, Forrest is is us. We are Forrest in the story mm-hmm. because you know the, the turn we did literally the turnaround as as Scott turned the whole truck around. At that point was was the point where we, as the reader, became the character. Yes, and this happens at multiple points too, which I love how this is weaved in. But this is also goes to show about how much of a master of the storytelling craft Scott Snyder is. How many times are we going to stroke his ego tonight? Uh, multiple times because of how great this story is. This is true because you think about how you can build up horror. And you have to get to a crescendo level right before it hits with the audience. And he pulls this off at so many multiple times that when you get to that plateau, the payoff is that big. And we're not there yet. And we're not even there yet. But it's just like little builds that you think is going to happen. It's almost like when you kind of mix in jump scares into the genre. You know, like it's just a little dabble here and there to keep you on your toes and then the quick curve is thrown at you and you're like oh where are we going from here and it's just such a level of storytelling that few can really master like he does and as we see going back to the story Forrest is trapped in the closet but he gets a call on his cell phone luckily dodges that but not by much so when he pops out to see TF after the look that he has is he's now more than ever determined to get him out of this facility and give him his final wish because what he's saying is, I don't have time left. I'm going to die soon. I want to see this take place and unfold on the big screen. And it's such a cool moment to see because now you have the drive and you have something that Scott mentioned at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago. He had a great panel with Greg Capullo talking about this line and just how horror stories are the ultimate superhero stories, to paraphrase a little bit. Because you have good, you have bad, it's a conflict, and then you have a resolution. Yes. And once you have it mixed in here, this is the moment it really sinks in with you, the reader, watching this take place, because now you're rooting, you find yourself rooting for Forrest instead of just kind of watching him enjoy his fandom, because now he's so convinced he's doing the right thing, 
He's taking TF out of the hospital. He's going to give him his last wish. We're going to have that feel-good moment. But then, obviously, things take a, a drastic turn. Because as we see, Orson is brought back to the facility as Forrest is trying to make his escape. This is probably the part that things get really weird, to say the least. Trippy. Yeah. So how would you be describing this entire scenario play out? So Orson got out of the car. He called his mom. Mm -hmm. They had a little chit-chat. He got out of the car, um, started walking around, started seeing a whole bunch of little red eyes. So, you know, how you doing? Uh, He fell, he tripped, and he was able to find a sewer or a drain of some sort. He started crawling through it. And next thing you know, we're in this way tripped out, like, spirit forest of the dead, nightmare fuel, goopy, globby. Yeah. <laughs> it almost looks like an Alice in Wonderland on acid. Take, okay. Take American McGee's uh, Alice in Wonderland, throw in Eddie from Megadeth, and that's what you got. And if anybody gets those references, I love you. I got the Eddie part, so I'm with you there. Yeah. But it does make sense because it's very trippy. It's almost like a, a, a nightmare version of Kuroika from the X-Men line right now. Ooh. Like, that's probably the easiest way to describe it, and it comes literally out of nowhere. So when you're watching this unfold, you're kind of trying to piece everything together. Forrest, though, knows something's going on. He winds up getting some files that he probably shouldn't get. But obviously, he hears his son screaming, help me. And he winds up taking the film and the files with him. And as he's going to try saving his son, well, he's getting attacked. Yes. By... An uh, old grandma. Yes. But no chainsaw. No, but boy, does she ever have a butcher knife. That she does. And she winds up actually cutting him, not fatally, but doing some damage on him, that now you're having more people start to attack. Forrest has to make a break from everything. And when he does, he gets some help from a nurse that's in the building, too. And she winds up ultimately sacrificing herself so he can make the save for the son. But when he goes down to this, you know, insane Neverland, it, the imagery here, like Francovilla just is on a whole different level. I've said it numerous times throughout this, and it's truly the case here because you see how the, the head doctor is sitting on a throne of dead bodies, skeletons, and is almost kind of morphed into this version of the ghoul that we've seen throughout the movie, which the movie itself, we haven't spent a lot of time on talking. We'll swing back to it. But we'll swing back to it because it really plays out like how you know traditional horror goes. But as you see it reflected in this manner, and you see how the doctor looks like a creature himself, and there's also a mix of other, you know, dignitaries involved mm-hmm. along with these undead bodies. And it's kind of this weird mixture of individuals. Almost at like, like I say, I'm going to make another X-Men reference. It's like a bizarro Hellfire Gala. I was going to say uh, Infernal Court of Owls. Could be. That's another one, too. But you're seeing just this gathering and just how it plays out. And you see... Orson is trapped by one of the creatures. His dad makes the save and draws the attention of every party goer there. Now, one thing I want to mention that if you, when you do read this, because if you don't after watching this, shame on you. Yes. Um, 
I really want to know, you know, next time we talk to Scott, if any of this dialogue that's in tongues, if they actually made a key or something for it so we could translate it. That's a great question. That is an excellent question. And then also, kudos again, just just for the art, you know, that, th- again, it's the disparity of the colors that they've used that give you the the tone of everything that's going on. And when we've gotten to this point, you get to purple, mm-hmm. you know, and the purple, the, the particular shade of purple that they use isn't like your black light purple. It has a little bit of a pinkish fuchsia color thing going here. So it gives it a very ominous yet ethereal effect, uh, you know, especially when you're putting in the nice shading uh, and then, you know, you pop in some yellow that really shines against this purple and black and red tones. It, again, masterfully done. Oh, yeah, I say, Frank Avella is just crushing this book from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, mixing in such a unique style of vintage with terrifying imagery. Oh, like yeah. I say, there, there's just so much that you can just sit here and just be in awe, even if this was like in an ash can version that you just saw the pictures. Ooh. Like it, it just it stands up and it holds up so, so well. But as you see, they make the escape with some help, albeit though the nurse that is helping them is killed as they escape, but they finally get out with TF, driving away to give him his final moment, even though... They're in hot pursuit. Forrest is still committed to giving this film its proper due in front of TF. And, I mean, obviously, this is a very interesting moment because things change so quickly. And another point that really stood out, too, is we see at the moment here the Jeep that they're driving in. Yep. Did you notice the color change? Did it stand out that it was always red? No. I mean... First panel, it's not, and the next panel. Oh, yeah. This is why I do this with Ken. Yeah, this this is why. It's those oh moments. It's it's one of the things that we now see it in a new light, and this is where things are going, and, and it kind of is a precursor for what is unfolding here, because as we see, they finally get to Panama Studios, mm-hmm. and they do get in, and you see, TF is getting wheeled by Forrest to the big screen. And he is like so overjoyed about what is happening here because now he gets to see his picture come to life. And we do see, obviously, Forrest is hooking this up and TF is playing the film. And it's a moment that you see a lot of people are racing to the the studios. We at the moment don't realize what is about to unfold. But this is just, we talk about building that pressure up, building that moment up. And now we are finally here because once we are here and all the moving parts are in place and we see the movie has kicked into gear, we find out. Oh, hold on. Let's go back real quick. Let's see where Orson's at before this. Okay. So Orson got picked up by mom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as things are progressing, they're talking in the car and Orson thinks there's another creepy crawly on him. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was. There was a scarab. Now, the mom's in the medical profession, and she talks about these good omens that can be considered, you know, from certain bugs, you know, and arthropologically. Yeah, study of insects. Yeah. Uh, there's a $3 word for today, ladies and gentlemen. So, okay, cool. Weird bug. I'm assuming mom's just going, it's okay. The bug's okay, honey. The mm-hmm. bug's okay. 
And then we cut back to the studio where the movie starts and we finally get to see the ending and the ending and the ending all line up. Mm -hmm. Because this is where we talked about going back to the movie itself. I mean, how would you describe the whole progression of that? The progression, it's just, it is so good. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll save my F for later somewhere. Yes. Um, just to see the fact that when, you know, we've concurrently that's been with this whole story that we've been going on with Forrest and, and you know, the director and Orson, we haven't touched on the, the movie itself. So the movie follows the very basic and generic horror soldier movie. Ooh, let's go to the castle. Ooh, we open the door. There's the creepy butler, creepy butler, creepy butler, master of the castle, master of the castle, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Ooh, look, I'm the monster, yada, blah, 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 boom. Oh, no, we're not going to make it. You know, the black guy dies because, you know, old movies. Uh, so on and so forth. It keeps happening. Like, we know that story. But then all of a sudden, the cameras, as they're filming in the studio, which is the same lot that they're watching the film at in now time, the camera pans off and the actual rest of the movie is what's happening in the studio. Mm-hmm. And in the studio, there's huge ass argument that happens and just shit goes south real quick. And then this is the aforementioned fire that Ken was talking about. And this, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of the story of the film, this is the true ending of how the film ended. Yeah. Because as we see, it was all part of a bigger plan. Yes. Because the ghoul, as it started from point A, has now wound up transferring to point B. And what a B it is. It's a huge B. Yes. Because it is now in the studio and it was almost kept there to protect and (laughs) keep it contained. Because obviously with how its powers were going to be, it infects because it eats off the dead and it does spread like a plague. And that is the one thing that they were trying to do because once they realized that the ghoul was actually there, they tried whatever they could do to keep it in check. It does not play out that well because you see the TF has a little more vested interest in this. So as we're seeing, the studio is on fire and the ghoul is there. The ghoul winds up going now, we, in. Just, just for reference, ladies and gentlemen, he's saying that the ghoul is there in the film. Yes. All right. We're talking about the scene from the movie where they cut to in-studio the ghoul is there in the film in 1950, whatever the heck. Okay. And so on this, out in the theater itself, you see, you know, uh, Forrest and TF watching the film and he's blissfully happy seeing his film. Just a, a crypt creeper esque smile from mm-hmm. ear to ear. And then it just all lines up as the ghoul is happening on screen, the fire starts. He, he starts to come to the realization. He's telling Forrest, uh, yeah, so uh, here's the deal. I'm the ghoul. Yep. So the entire time that TF was being held in the facility, they were just keeping the ghoul in check. Because they are an ancient society that used bugs. Aha, uh-huh, goes back to the bugs with Orson. Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep the ghoul in check, which I think is fantastic. I mean, honestly, in my head, uh, and I'm this is going to be a really odd, well, specific re- reference. I heard the robot chicken, M. Night Shyamalan. What a twist! Mm-hmm. It, got, but it, but it works. It worked because once you see that play out on screen, that really grabs the reader. 
and you're just sitting there going like processing what happens, but there's no time to react because you see at this point the ghoul is trying to get out. The spider-like creature is going complete horror movie style out of TF's mouth, and you see Forrest is trying to kill it before it escapes, but he does not get the chance. However, though, the society that has been overseeing the facility, they're the ones that are having the party underneath, they have now all shown up because they know the ghoul is loose and they're trying to stop it by whatever means they can. And this is when you really see some real terror unfold because the ghoul is unleashing every bit of power it has and almost to the point where it incinerates everybody that was part of the society. Yay, hellfire. Yeah. It's just a it's a powerful moment that happens when it plays out. But you do see that there is something to inject in it that Forrest winds up picking up in his hands. A tincture. Yes. And they're trying to do it, but the studio is lit on fire yet again, but the tincture is dropped as they're trying to make the escape. So Forrest has to go face the ghoul one-on-one with this playing out. And it's such a powerful moment, too, because you're seeing how Forrest winds up trapping the ghoul, getting rid of it, or so he thinks. The studio is burned down yet again, and he's drug out there via ambulance. And it's almost like the complete horror moment that happens because once the ghoul is looked to be defeated and you see the flames are ensuing and Forrest is, is saved, we see a moment that plays out that just is perfect horror 101. And what is that, Tom? So there's Forrest. He has been saved. He's in the ambulance. You know, you got the... They go off. He's, they're trying to resuscitate him. He's coughing. There's smoke inhalation. And the, the paramedic reaches over. Mm-hmm. Actually, it'd be better if I do it with this arm, right? Reaches over. And I don't know if you can see this internet. There we go. And a tattoo starts to show up uh, of an insect. Yes. A certain insect that looks a lot like the ghoul. And we do find this striking final page. That the ghoul, well, did not die in the fire. He just found a new vessel. He just found a new vessel in forest. And that's how the story ends. Albeit, though, they do throw a great final page on, much like a bonus scene in any movie, that the film, which everybody thought was burnt down, somebody has claimed and walks off screen. There's also a bug there, too. Yes. But what a story. What a story. Yeah, I mean, let's let's kind of give the breakdown about it. You know, we like to talk about the good, the bad, and the what. Tom, what is your three good points of this book? The twist. The plot twist number one. Um, you know, we've, we've already gone really over all the great points here, so it's just bringing it back around. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot twist that the director was the ghoul. Uh, the plot twist that... On the flip side, that as much as this yucky, ucky, decayed, purple, mass goo, freaking zombie acid trip that Orson was stuck in, were the good guys. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, everybody's a good guy. Every bad guy is a good guy in their own story. So if this ever had a follow-up, there's something there that Scott could even work with, too. Yeah. Um, but my, bi- my biggest takeaway is that, you know, I really, for art's sake... There's something about this one that hit me. Mm. You know, maybe again, it was the horror aspect. It was the shading. 
It was the the lack of color, the use of color, um, the the blackness. The now, mind you, folks, I generally read everything digitally, so sometimes getting that paper feel aspect, that, you know, seeing it pop off the page is obviously different. Um, so, from my point of view, gorgeous, stunning, cannot go wrong with it. Uh, the the it was just. There was nothing bad about it, let's be honest. If you can find one thing bad, I got a $2 bill for you. No, I agree with you. There is nothing bad about this. This is perfect horror storytelling from top to bottom because you have the compelling characters of Forrest Inman who really goes through character development at a great progression. Nothing is seemed forced. Nothing is seemed out of the ordinary. It's just him being a fan and trying to do what he thinks is right because he's so obsessed with this notion of he will bring the greatest horror film ever made to the masses. And he's not looking to become famous off it. He just wants the world to see this film. And then you have T.F. Merritt, who is such a masterful villain that even if it's not him, it's the ghoul itself controlling him. He plays the part very well that he almost does that devil on the shoulder, so to speak, convincing Forrest to send him to go watch the film. Think about those big, huge tendrils. Mm -hmm. I mean, almost like a marion, you know, a puppet master. He was playing every host that he had. Yes. You know? And And it plays out so well, too. Like, that's how you get so caught up in the moments of this. And every character involved has... A, a part to play. Like I say, we didn't dive too much into the movie aspect of it because the movie is just there to build up the origin of the ghoul. Mm-hmm. And you see how it first comes through in World War One, and how it's been yep. established and how it, it, you know, it transmits from host to host. And it just sums up to when you get that final confrontation with Forrest and the ghoul and when Forrest has to stab the ghoul, which I know I left out when I was breaking down earlier. Because I forgot about because it, it's just like you have things moving so fast in this story. Then when he finally is injected to slow the ghoul down and he thinks he won, it turns out he didn't. And it plays in just to such a horror moment that you're sitting there thinking we have the resolution, but there's still a lot to be held on to. And it's a beautiful thing to see play out because we're so used to in this day and age, in my opinion, that horror is more focused on the blood and guts aspect. Yeah. Like people, and that, you know, if you're a horror fan, that's what you gravitate towards too, by all means. But I think Go there's, for the gore. but there's something about doing it in a vintage way of the psychological scare that I think hits home more to a reader. And I think that you're seeing a lot more of that happen in comics now in general, but especially with this story too, because it really captures the essence of what Scott was saying at that panel. And you see it play out. You have the good in Forrest, you have the bad in TF and the ghoul. You have the conflict, which is trying to stop the ghoul from taking over. The resolution is after he's injected and left for dead. There's still a part of him that's left over. So now the battle is done for now, but there's more lurking to be had if they want to go back down this road, which I think I would love to see as a reader, but I don't want to see right away, if that makes sense. Because I think when you have a story that's done this well, you don't want to see just an immediate sequel. And I know it's been a couple of years since it's come out. So if it does happen within the next couple of years, which I don't know anything about, I would love to see it. Agreed. 
We could either do a backstory on the society. Mm -hmm. We could follow up where the ghoul's been. We could get a backstory on where the ghoul is literally from. I mean, we got touches of it in in the, the movie reels, but... I mean, we could go back even further and, you know, get its real inception or wherever the heck it came from. But the, th- the great thing about it is now with it being, you know, set to transfer over into the pop culture audience with a big production behind it, it's really going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Because, Absolutely. Because this will be the story that I don't want to say it'll be like the next Stranger Things, because I think that's too un- unfair of a comparison. But I think what we're going to have as, uh, as an audience is when this comes out as a film, because I believe that's what's coming out with 20th Century Fox. I haven't uh, seen, obviously, with the strike going on. I haven't caught up with the latest, but that's the last we heard that something was happening with this. It's really going to be something to see how the pop culture audience gravitates towards this. I think what would be really nice, though, as much as 20th Century slash The Mouse could do this, um, where I think it would be really nice if Amazon kind of kept it in-house and did it as a series on Prime. Mm-hmm. You know, that would stand up and rival, say, other cha- other shows like Sandman or because, I mean, in my wheelhouse, obviously, the non-horror guy, where does Prime really fit in the whole lexicon of things as far as horror is concerned? Yeah. You know? Just saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a great you know argument to bring up. And I think there's just there's so many elements we can go with. Yeah. But like I say, with, with 20th Century Studios landing the rights, I had to call up the article about it because, like I said, it's been a while. This is going to be something when it's done, it's going to be something that, you know, there's a lot of energy that can be had from it. And I think and I think, yeah. and I think, that you, if you really are looking for a great horror story to get into before the masses do, this is something to do. And I think just as much as it is a heavy... If you read into it, it's a, it's a heavy psychological. Oh, absolutely. You know, and not knocking Scott's style. It is a, it's a very beat for beat. You, you kind of have an idea up to the, the twist. Well, you kind of have an idea what's going on up to the twist. Mm-hmm. So I might even get my wife to watch this one. That would be huge. Might. That would be huge. So before we wrap everything up with this, Tom, I'm going to need your grade on Night of the Ghoul. I give it 10 out of 10 blood moons because it's Bishop Knight. But it's perfect. It is absolute fucking perfect. There you go. There's my F for the night. I I concur. There's a reason why we've been gushing about Scott's storytelling and the artwork of Francesco Francavilla. This is a perfect blend of creativity and imagination. And you think about a story that really captures a classic feel. And especially in this day and age where where Tom was Look even debating Look about when Look at that. Look at that. when the time era was. But you think about it, this is a modern storytelling with a smartphone, so you yeah. know it's present, but it still feels like a classic story you would read in the eighties. You read, you know, even longer. You could you could even honestly think about it. You know, this is a very special episode. And it really makes me think of like those very special episodes, and particularly that that graininess that you would see in you know, like if you remember that Tom Hanks movie that they did, the anti Dungeons and Dragons movie back in the eighties. Yeah. You know, it, it it has that feel. Um, like it doesn't even feel like it's either going to be a really bad B movie that you're going to catch on the Saturday matinee, like once a month, or it's one of those made for late night, uh, TV, 
but not to the campness of Sven Gulli. Not that anything is you know bad with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it really just had that. Yeah, I man, wouldn't that be great if they like if when it does hit the screen, just to make it that antique looking. Like do it in four by three, do it in you know four eighty p. Just make it look like shit in a good way. You know that's going to be the beauty of it now with the budget behind it, and you know whenever that gets rolling again. I had a moment, sorry. No, it, no, it's fair to do because this story is going to generate that kind of buzz with the pop culture. I fully bank on it. It's one that it just is so classic in its presentation that it will win over fans no matter what your exact genre is. Like I have shown this book to fellow readers that are not into horror comics and have absolutely fallen in love with this because it's just that good of a story and with the visuals to match too. And like I say, Frank Avella's work in this is just second to none. And I, it's weird because I can't see this book working with anybody else but him. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, I think that just this is a perfect pairing. We've been fortunate enough, you know, recently to see them team up again in the Devil's Cut by Distillery for White Boat, yep. which is a very short story. But I mean, Devil's Cut is an amazing read too, by the way. It, but to see them paired up, and you can definitely feel the connection there. They they just play off each other so well with the writing and the art. This is just a timeless experience that, uh, quite frankly, this needs to be in everybody's comic collection. Whether you do it digitally or, more importantly, in, in my opinion, because I think I always scream about going to the comic shops, getting this in print form. I have both. I am very happy with both. Do they have a hardcover of this? Because I, I don't want to trade paperback. I would rather have a hardcover of this sitting on my shelf. I will have to research that for you. Okay. I, I don't know. I have the trade paperback. I have it signed. So that's how much I love this book. I mean, what can I say? If, if the book connects with you on that kind of level, you should go try getting it signed and just have that moment. And buy another copy that you can read. Agreed. Because that's that's the power when you have a really great comic to read. So that said, Wednesday, depending on when you watch this, will be New Comic Book Day. Well, since we're talking, since this is Monday and it is Mischief Night, let's be a little mischievous. What do we got coming tomorrow, Comicsology Tuesday? Glad you kicked that off because we have a double shot of great books dropping from Comixology Originals, kicking off with the return of one of my favorite series. You can read it all day and... All night, because the all-nighter, number 11, is back. Chip Zdarsky, Jason Liu. This story combines supernatural with superhero thematics, and it is an absolute blast to read. Can we gloat about New York Comic Con real quick again? By all means. Okay, so there we were. All right, we were at New York Comic Con. Comicsology had a wonderful breakfast. Yes, they we did. We were all there. We talked about this already with that handsome man, Rich. You know, the guy in the chair right now. Uh, and it was just when All Nighter came up and hit the screen, smiles abound in, in the whole room. Just woots and and hips and holler and hoorays and rah rahs. It was just everyone's like, really, yeah, okay, I'm in, I'm down. Yeah, the story is is great, and especially where they left off with issue ten. I wasn't sure exactly when we were going to see Volume 3. If, also. Yeah, it was if. It, like, it left, like, I knew they were, I had a feeling they were going to come back. Because it, it, it just, it left on such a note that it's like, okay, when? And I had not heard anything about this, so to see that kick off the Comixology uh, breakfast for New York Comic Con, like, that was an amazing moment. Like I said, that whole panel was just great, because they have so many great books coming out. Yeah. So, The All-Nighter 11 is one to go get. Uh, and then also the second issue of one of the uh, another fantastic series. I could rave about this one as well. Black Sight number two. Stephanie Phillips, Connor Boyle. 
uh, Tom Napolitano. This book is absolutely wild. And if you really like a good psychological thriller, this is perfect for your collection. I cannot wait to buy this in physical form, um, but I love picking this up. And this has just been a great read from start to finish thus far. And we still have got a a few more issues left. And this is going to be one. I, I tell you, like, this has really got me hooked from the opening page. And this... Like I say, we're chapter. The second chapter is going. Like I'm super excited to check this out, and I just Stephanie Phillips is writing it. I will pick it up because Stephanie is one of the best writers in comics right now. So this is a no brainer to go get on Comicsology tomorrow uh, as we record tonight. Now, on to Wednesday. On to Wednesday, Tom. What is your pick for New Comic Book Day? Um. Oh man. There's an issue number two that's out. Oh, hey, it's Ranger Academy. Yes. Uh, so I will have a wonderful review about Ranger Academy. Should I give my off-the-cuff uh, on this one real quick? Yeah, let's save it. Let's let's give the people a little anticipation here. Mm, so that means you're going to have to check out Nerd Initiative on Wednesday to see my review, because trust me, I got words for this. And it's not that I was saying anything bad against Melissa Flores, because I absolutely love what she's doing right now in over there. But what, what we're getting from our new writers over here at Ranger Academy, I'm just wondering, like, mm, I got things to say. I'm in. I'm, I'm in don't get me wrong. I want to see the, the structure. And I want to see how they're doing this. But, you know, as someone who served in the military, to see how they're making an academy out of this. And there's, there's some great structure stuff that I want to see, but I got some whys. Well, that's why everybody is going to have to swing over to nerdinitiative.com Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. for some great reviews by the one and only Nerd Initiative Bullpen, where we're kicking off. We've got a stacked lineup coming out that day and possible some late entries, too. So that's why we're just making a point to say make sure you smash that subscribe button, like Rich always says on Wrestling Night Live, to make sure that you have that QR code locked and loaded to drop And you want to make sure that you have the YouTube page clicked as well because we have a lot of great things lined up, especially going into 2024. There's more in 24. Oh, there's way more in 2024 because you'll definitely want to make sure you're watching Nerd Initiative YouTube for the Premier Comics Award Show, which is making its debut on the Nerd Initiative YouTube channel, and that is the Cheersies. Which, if you are a comic reader, you already know they will be coming over to Nerd Initiative for this year's edition. And we are super excited to be talking the best of the best of comics in 2024. But in the meantime, that's why you need to make sure you're following everything going on with Nerd Initiative Bullpen. And every creator that is under the brand right now because there's a lot of stuff in the works. So whether you're a fan of movies and TVs, uh, shows trust me there's stuff in the works if you're a fan of star wars you'll definitely want to be watching what's coming on if you're a fan of power rangers you'll definitely want to be following what is happening here i got uh, a whole freaking rolodex baby also in the land of pro wrestling where we can't stress enough thursday night a new era kicks off for nerd initiative wrestling with the new time slot for the premier pro wrestling talk show Wrestling Night Live. Wrestling Night Live. So you want to make sure you're following that. And also you want to make sure you're following us here at Turn a Page every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we have a lot of stuff lined up going into November. 
Possibly some guests are going to be swinging back through. Uh, we don't want to reveal any names just yet, but as they always like to say, stay tuned, dot, dot, dot. Ooh, dot, dot, dot. Is that like breadcrumbs, like my news I'm going to drop in January? Quite possibly. Yep. I got news these guys don't even know yet. We got a lot of things happening here at Nerd Initiative, so you definitely want to make sure you're dropping the subscribes and follows wherever you can for everybody that is a creator contributing to what we do here to make this your home for pop culture positivity. Tom, before we get out of here, why don't we let everybody know how to find you and everything going on with Off the Cuff. You can find me right here at this beautiful QR code. I'll be all over the internet. Uh, My link tree is still working-ish. So just bear with me as it goes. If not, stick here with Nerd Initiative. I get tagged in all, in the majority of their stuff, so you can find me through that as well. So follow Nerd Initiative. will be following me in the long run. You know, that's how we want to do it. Also, I uh, just want to say everybody have a happy and healthy and safe Halloween, however you celebrate it. Make smart choices and enjoy the candy. Absolutely. Before we get to me, we definitely want to give a shout out to our producer behind the scenes, Rich from 3FN. Make sure you're following everything going on with the 3FN podcast at 3FNpodcast.com and especially on Wrestling Night Live. Can't recommend that enough. If you're a fan of AEW, WWE, New Japan Pro Wrestling, GCW, and all the independents in between, you definitely want to make sure that you are subscribed to that show because there's going to be a lot of action happening there. And both podcast form and YouTube, so stay tuned for that. Guy in the chair. But if you also want to find out what's going on with me and the rest of the ODPH team, simple, swing on over to odphpodcast.com or hit that QR code right over here, as I'm trying to point. And you definitely be a one-stop shop for you for everything that's going on with the Parlay of Topics team, because we have a lot of stuff lined up as well. Don't forget that code, too. And don't forget the code above, Tom, always, that is the uh, comic shop locator. So we always are screaming, go to your local comic shops, go pick up some books, go talk to some fans and make some memories happen. Cause that's what we like doing here. That's why we do this show each and every week for you. You. So that being said, when you're at the comic shops and you have a great issue in your hand and you see somebody struggling to find something on the rack, hand yours off to him. Tell him to turn a page. We'll see you guys next Tuesday. Thanks for watching.